All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is what episode three, if I'm not mistaken, of this whole podcasting. We're entering season one, and we're just gonna go straight right into it. If you guys are on Spotify, go check out our YouTube. If you guys are on YouTube, go check out our Spotify. We appreciate all of you guys' support. But let's get right into this thing. And the first thing are the Leafs are $12 million under the cab after they just recently re-signed Ilya Samsonov. That is some trouble that they're going to go through right now. I mean, you have all these guys. You have four guys, I believe, locked up for $10 million on average. That's 45% of your cap space right there. Plus, you have Samsonov, what, what was it, five and a half, right? Three. Three. You Three have Matt Murray was five and a half, right? Yeah. Matt Murray. You have Morgan Riley back there, too. You also have Jake Muzzin. That's not taking into account. The, the under, they're 12 over, not taking into account Jake Muzzin being on LTIR, by the way. Just want to point that out. But what's the whole situation going on with them? Do you, do they, are they going to have to trade, you know, a guy like Nylander to try to gets fit under or are they going to have to try to package maybe Tavares or Matt Murray with some compensation with draft picks or another decent player? I, I definitely think that, you know, Brad tree Living's going to have a hard time getting them under like, you know, just, just getting them cap compliant They're He's going to have a tough time because teams are going to look at their situation. They're going to look, okay. They've got you know, a bad contract in Matt Murray. You know, they've got Tavares making over $11 million a season. They're gonna they're gonna look and they're gonna be like okay so you're gonna pay us either a first round pick or one of your top prospects to take on those contracts without you retaining anything, or we're just not gonna help you. Yeah, it's it's a sticky situation for the Leafs and yeah you know Dubas kind of left uh, traveling or whatever with a really bad like not bad roster but like you know salary cap issues right i know the cap is going up dramatically going into not this upcoming season but the season after but that's this whole like thing and everything like nylander's asking for 10 and the leaves are like yeah like we'll give you eight and they're on different sides of the spectrum john Tavares is getting paid 11 million dollars he's getting overpaid matthews is also going to want to get paid Something's gonna have to give. You're gonna have to either a lose Nylander or Matt and or Matthews in free agency, which I know for a fact they don't want to. So I think the odd man out it can be Nylander because he's on an expiring deal. I believe he's gonna be a UFA, right? And John Tavares, nobody's gonna want that contract unless you add something else to it. Now he is getting 75, 80 points, but still for 11 million dollars, you should be getting 90, 90 points a season minimum. And then for the Matt Murray thing, like that contract is so bad. I you might have to add a first round pick and a B level prospect for me to even consider taking Matt Murray unless you're the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. I mean unless you're a team with cap space and you know, you you're gonna buy Murray out right away, there's really, you know, one team that'll take on that contract. But, you know, to me it looks like you might as well be better off moving Nylander. Yeah, he's one of your better, you know, performers in the playoffs over the past couple of years you know one of the only guys that have been visible in the playoffs but you know he's on an expiring contract you know you're two million and you know two million AAV uh away from each other in contract demands I mean is, is it better off to just trade Nylander and you get what you can for him while while you still can Pers- before he walks 
Personally, I would try to. I know Leafs fans are probably going to come in the comments. Oh, why would you trade Nylander? You got to trade somebody else. Well, this isn't franchise money. You just can't trade Matt Murray for a seventh round pick, and you know because he, they both have no trade value. That's not how this works, right? No. You you're going to have to work around the cap and be like, listen, like we we they want to they're going to prioritize Matthews, who's going to ask for fourteen million dollars. Like that's a given. And you have Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and William Nylander's the odd man. Unless you can somehow trade Tavares and Matt Murray and then bring back Matthews and Nylander. Now, that's the ideal scenario for any Leafs fan, management player, whatever. But that's not going to happen, though. Like that, there is no, I do not see in a world where John Tavares and Matt Murray get traded by the deadline or before the season or before the offseason, whatever, so they can sign Nylander and Matthews. No team's going to do that. Not even the Coyotes. No. They won't. No, not not even close. It, it, to me, you know, a, as a Sabres fan, um, it looks like trading Nylander is their best option. Yes, and to a contender too, not to just like some bum team and everything that's like, hey, you know, it's a good player, let me take him. To a team, let's say, I don't know, for example, New Jersey, okay, let's say they're the best team in the league or whatever, New Jersey or Carolina, and they're looking to add, you know, some scoring depth or, you know, a first to second line winger going out and getting a guy like Nylander would help with them. Now, obviously, uh, we'll talk about that when that's on the road in like seven, eight months, but that's just, that's just all we'll take on the Leafs. And then... Moving on here to the Detroit Red, Red Wings. <laughs> I saw something from the Empty Nighters podcast a couple days ago about they think the Red Wings can win a cup in three, four, five seasons. What's your whole take on that? I know you're not super high on the Red Wings. I know you're like the Sabres are above the Sens by a lot, and then the Sens are above the Red Wings a lot, and then it's just kind of the Red Wings as the third bottom-off team, I guess, of those three teams. Yeah, I, I mean – Iserman's, you know, really, I, I don't think he has a plan right now. I think he's just trying to sign filler guys and, you know, guys in depth positions to try and, you know, boost the team into the playoffs. And I just, I, I don't think he's, you know, acting smart because, you know, he, he's given Justin Hole a $3 million contract for three years. Yeah. Um, it's just like a team of guys that, you know, he could just get. You know, I, I, I don't really think he has a plan for right now. I think he's just trying to get, you know, he, he's either trying to, you know, be middle of the pack and, you know, get get people in the building, you know, say, hey, we're improving. Or he's trying to get, you know, more top prospects, you know, by being, you know, an okay team. Like they also ended up signing JT Comfer and Daniel Sprong, which I think were actually solid additions. Like those are the two additions that I'm like, hey, like the, you know, the Red Wings did good with that, right? Daniel Sprong played really well in Seattle this past season, and JT Confer was a vital piece of that Colorado Avalanche run in 2022 when they just dominated every single team in the playoffs. But I, the more that I look at the roster, I kind of like, like it. Now, you start out front with, of course, the $8.5 million man himself, Dylan Larkin. And you go down the list with guys like Andrew Kopp. I know Rat Ratmusen. What is that? Ratmusen or whatever. Rasmussen. Rasmussen. I, I the mic was covering the yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rasmussen. Uh, Fabry. I know like even Valeno and Costin are okay. Uh, Marco Casper. You can't forget about him. Where he's gonna be a solid piece. Like their center depth is good, and also like the left wing zone. They're like the the wings in general are mad. David Perron, JT Confer, like. 
though, though, and of course, Lucas Raymond. You can't yeah, forget about him. Who can't is? Forget about Debrinka. What's that? Well, I I gotta get okay. the red wing, so, right so wings sorry, here. Sorry. So sorry, I I should have clarified. I'm talking about the left wings right now, not just wings in general. But yeah, though, uh, I get it because red wings, red wing. <laughs> wings, wings. <Shut laughs> um. But yeah, Lucas Raymond is going to be your number one left wing, and after that, it's kind of a drop off. I do like JT Confer and Perron, but though they're they both right there are third line wings. They're no, they're not second or fourth. Confer's more of a center. Well, yeah, uh, but he's gonna, uh, yeah, they're, he, he's lifted at, listed. Yeah, at he's lane. lifted as, listed as a left wing. Like I'm looking at it though, like I don't. I mean, I guess you can kind of fit him in that center if he plays there, but. Their their wing depth is so bad that I think he might be stuck at the wing, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And then right wing where I is obviously you mentioned Alex the Brinkat, and then there's Daniel Sprong and nobody else. You have Fisher and you have Luff. And <laughs> I didn't I, I I've heard of Chris Fisher. I, I believe that's his name. Um, yeah, he was on Arizona. Arizona. That's the only reason why I know who that is. <laughs> um, for some reason, don't ask me how. <laughs> what? Your Arizona franchise. That, oh, that's that's you're probably not wrong. Oh, you're well, you're not wrong. And then come out to our next streams. We're gonna be start doing NHL. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna yeah we're gonna start doing the streams and everything on um, what is the base? I'm gonna try to every night. Uh, it really depends on work though. Um, yeah. but I mean it is what it is though. But there's not a schedule. Like I don't I don't have a schedule. Just random. Yeah, on Twitch and Kick though, those are down in the description below. But then you move on to the defense part of things. I, they drafted Sandine Polinka, but they have Ben Sherratt, uh, who actually, and of course, you can't forget about uh, Mo Sider, in which that a lot of people said that Mo Sider has, did not have a good season because he's playing with a guy like Ben Sherratt, which is valid. And I saw a clip, or, or heard, I was listening to a podcast, and they were like, if Mo Sider is playing with Justin Hall, like, Mo Sider is not going to have a great career because he should not be learning from a guy like Justin Hall. He should be learning from a seasoned vet who actually knows how to play hockey. Yeah, pretty much. And then, I mean, after that, you have Ole Mata. Shane Gossespierre, who is a very underrated signing for a team like the Red Wings, in my opinion. And you can't forget about Jake Wallman, too, who the analytically he, had he the best. What's that? He exploded. He exploded and had the best analytic, the defensive like part of, his game or whatever, it was the high, it was the best in the NHL by by far. Yeah. It wasn't even close, um, which is nuts. I like that. And then moving on to goaltenders wise, they have uh, Huso and they have James Reimer. I know who is that? Uh, who's their goalie prospect again? Then? Sebastian Casa. Sebastian Casa. They drafted what fifteenth overall, right? Fifteenth overall in twenty twenty one, I believe. Absolute fucking baller right there. Yeah. Um, but the Red Wings, I think they can I think they can make a run towards the Stanley Cup in the next what? Four seasons I think it'll take. I would say 6 to 7. J- just cuz, you know, again, there there's no real plan. It's just, you know, sign guys and we might make the playoffs. That's fair. And then so yeah, Red Wings, we both have we both have different stances on them. We'll get to that in depth later. But then there's a debate going on between Evgeny Malkin and Patrick Kane. Which one has had the better career? Now, if you look at them like just like base stats and like accolades, they've had the almost the exact same career. I mean, look at Walt Malkin. He has 1,063 games played, 471 goals, 758 assists for 1,229 points. And then you go on to Patrick Kane, who has 1,180 games played, 451 goals, 786 assists for 1,237 points. And then you go down to his accolades. So 
They he had, Patrick Kane has three Stanley Cups. He has a Calder, a Conn Smythe, a Hart, a Ted Lindsay, and a Art Ross. And then you go down to Malkin. And he, he again, has three Cups. A Calder, a Conn Smythe, a Hart, a Ted Lindsay, and two Art Rosses. I've seen a couple stuff saying where Malkin did have the better peak of his career during the five-year stretch, but I think Patrick Kane was more consistent throughout his career, although their careers are basically identical. Yeah, they're pretty identical. Malkin has that extra Art Ross. You know, you know that just means he led this the big league in points. Do. Yeah. Um, I, I, I saw a post that was, you know, since 2010, you know, Patrick Kane has over, like, I think almost 1,100 points. In, in his career, and that's higher than Crosby. That's higher than Ovi. And um, I, I think when you look at it, I, I believe, you know, Malkin's like two, three years older than Kane, and Kane's played like 100 more games. And that, that just means Malkin's had injury troubles in, in his uh, career. And, you know, I always say, you know, the best, avail- the best ability is availability. And... I, I think Kane has, you know, for the most part of his career, been pretty healthy. Up until this past yeah, season. Up until this past season, you know, where he, you know, he hurt his hip and then he he, he got his surgery. You know, he's going to be out four to six months. But um, I, I think when it's said and done, they're both first battle Hall of Famers, you know, just on accolades alone and, you know, their point total. But I, I, I do know that I believe it's, what, 160 points Kane needs to uh, – be the highest like the most points by an american born player of all time correct yes yes so i i definitely think you know i think he can do that you know if he stays on a consistent pace over the next couple seasons well patrick kane i think that if again like he stays at like i don't know a 55 60 point pace i think he'll be fine i know the drop off from patrick kane has been brutal now granted doesn't help that he played on a horrible whack off team and gets traded to a New York team, uh, the Rangers to be exact, and they just have a bunch of old, I guess, players and guys that have underperformed mostly. I know he was playing with Panarin for a little while. I know, I believe they were playing on a line on even yeah, strength and on the power play. Um, that power play was lethal on paper, but they couldn't get anything going. So Patrick Kane it's coming off surgery, too. I'm not expecting him to have a huge season, but... I, Again, I think the 160 points is really in reach for him. Yeah, and, and I will say, to end this debate, Evgeny Malkin even said Patrick Kane had the better career. I don't know yeah, if that's he just be, him say, being what humble. What was it, on, a, on, a, uh, on an Instagram post? post. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was just him being humble or he truly thinks that, but, you know, he said it, so... I think it's just... I'm going to go with it. Honestly, I think it's just him being humble, although he has been really humble... His entire career, I've noticed, at least to the media-wise. Remember that one time where Malkin just decided to swing a stick at some random Flyers player for no reason? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. Nate was like, yeah, like, you know, that's that's good on him and everything because, you know, Nate hates the Flyers yeah. or whatever. Um, but, yeah. Anyways, though, we're moving on here to the Penguins. Speaking of them, uh, that was a nice transition, by the way. I just want to point that out, his yeah. idea. Um <laughs> Are they likely to go all in in 2024? I know there's reports of Carlson's basically going to be going to the Penguins before the start of training camp in September. What do you think of that? Do you think the Penguins can use the guy at Carlson? Do you think they should stay away from him? Like, what's your whole stance on that? I, I think, you know, just looking at a pure analytics stance, you know, he was in the zero, like zero, not, not one, zero. <laughs> 
like percentile of even strength defense. I I think, you know, even though he had the hundred percentile of even strength offense, I I think you know there's no way you can you can justify the the offset of uh that. And I think they really need to get better defensively, especially you know in their middle six or middle six. Um, <laughs> their middle pairing. <laughs> uh, middle two. Um, and I think Carlson is just not what they need at, at this point in, you know, how, how they have Malkin and Crosby, you know, for the next couple of years, I, I definitely think, you know, the money that, you know, Eric Carlson is going to bring to that team and the cap troubles that, that they'll bring. I, I definitely think that money can be spent better elsewhere, you know, on, on a, on a younger guy with a, you know, a, a smaller cap hit, you could probably get two guys for the cost. And of who Carlson. actually plays defense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, like, also, they already have guys like Crosby, well, obviously, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. They ended up resigning Malkin and Latang just last offseason to, it, they weren't just, like, two, three-year contracts. Five- and six-year contracts that they ended up doing. I don't know, like, I know, uh, I think Latang was, with five years? And, and Malkin was six, I don't know, something around there. Yeah. And so now you already have, like, a lot of money locked up there, and Crosby was advocating for the Penguins, like, you got to, like, go resign them, like, right now and stuff. So, yeah. And then you look at the back end. I mean, you have Ryan Graves, Latang, and that's it. I mean, you do have Joseph, who's okay. He's, like, a bottom-pairing defenseman on most teams, though. And the drop-offs is huge. Jeff Petrie isn't what he used to be back when he was back on Montreal. No. And Rue Weddle is the seventh defenseman at best. And everybody else is just there just to fill a roster spot at this point. I think they can use some defense-wise. And then you go up front to their forwards. Noel Archari, which I think will be a great pickup. He's a very underrated player in this league, in my opinion. Jeff Carter, Sidney Crosby, Lars Eller, and then Malkin. I think Eller is a solid piece for them. And but Jeff Carter's not the guy he used to be. Although let's be honest, it's Jeff Carter. He's just gonna put up fifty points a season at this point. Mikel Granlin isn't the player he, he. I know at one point he had one elite season. Everybody thought, oh my god, like he's he's entering his prime and everything. He's been average every other season. Uh, Raquel, I think, is actually he's very underrated. I like him, and they do have Russ. And there's a guy that's number zero on this team, uh, Johnson. Uh, he, John Stone or whatever. Nobody knows Ross who he is. Johnston. Yeah, sorry, Johnson. I, believe, I, I didn't write the first name. What's that? I believe that's who it is. Yeah. Wait, you, so what was the first name? Ross. No, this is M. Oh, yeah. yeah I don't know. <laughs> and then on the other the other wing, you have Gensel Vinny. And it shows a former <laughs> Sabres legend. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I mean... Uh, that's that's about it. Your your depth is really horrible. And then Tristan Jari and Nadelkovic. I know you're not a huge fan of Jari or Nadelkovic for the Penguins either. Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't know. Jari, you know, again, he, he gets injured too much. And then, you know, besides, you know, Nadelkovic's rookie season, he really didn't perform well. Yes, he was on a bad, you know, Detroit de- team and he was getting shelled. But I don't know. I, I definitely think, you know, if – Pittsburgh improves the defense before, you know, the season starts, you know, they can have a decent shot. But I, I think that, you know, with the team they have right now, I think they're maybe a wild card team at best. Do you, so what I've noticed at least about uh, Tristan Jari is like when he's healthy, I know like you have, you want players that can play instead yeah. of just be like, Oh, like 
this player is really, really good, but he's always hurt. Like, you know, yeah. nobody wants players like that. Mm-hmm. But Tristan Jarry, when he's healthy, he's actually a solid goaltender. I know last season he had a 2.9 goals against average in, like, I think 47 games or something around there. And then the season before, he had a 2.4 goals against average, which I did not know that until just today. That's that's He was an all-star. I Well, I don't. I don't. Rem- I don't watch the Oscar game. Like I don't care. <laughs> I just know Oscar. because of Hut. That, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So Justin Jari is a good goaltender when he does play. He's not elite, and he's he's like kind of like in that middle, like B tier type of goaltender, like B to C tier, where he can win you a couple games. He's gonna lose you a couple games, but overall, like he'll be a consistent goaltender most of the time, right? Yeah. So I I think the Penguins do have some holes to fill. Do I think they can make a push for the playoffs this season? And for the next couple of seasons with Eric Carlson or without him, I do. Do I think that they're going to compete for a Stanley Cup? No. This, they, they have too many holes, on, especially depth purposes and everything. Like their bottom six is horrible. Their, their second and third pairing on the defensive end are bad. Their goaltending is good, but it's not great. And Dalkovich, he's a solid backup Jari is a solid starting goaltender but you don't have that goaltender that can steal you multiple games when you can't score so the penguins we'll see if they make a push whether they get carlson or not but i guess we'll see and moving on to the final team we're going to talk about in today's episode the calgary flames everybody underperformed last season especially huberto who had the biggest drop off in points in nhl history Uyghur, who analytically had a really good season, but statistically, like baseline stats, he did not play well. And apparently, I've seen Calgary Flames like fans saying, "Oh, Uyghur played bad and everything." Like apparently, according to the analytics, he didn't. But I don't watch Flames games. Uh, but anyways, Huberto, do you think he can bounce back this season? I I I think so. I I think you know, getting rid of uh, Daryl Sutter and the way he wants his team to play is definitely gonna bring back the offensive totals that you would think so maybe not 115 points but definitely around that 70 to 80 point range for uh huberto i think I th- yeah i think between like 75 80 85 points i think is more realistic i know um he was also playing under daryl sutter which his system wasn't really as geared towards huberto's play style or just like players like huberto where they're very offensive, and Daryl Sutter's a stubborn coach and tried to implement his own system. I Thankfully, the Flames fired Daryl Sutter because I've seen like guys that, not just like Flames fans, but NHL fans saying how they don't like Daryl Sutter and what he did to the Flames and everything, whether they've made a couple deep playoff runs or they've bottomed out like later the last season. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just like the whole Ralph Kruger situation where he was so stubborn and stuck in his ways that he wanted the team to play to his play style and not not to really you know evolve his coaching uh coaching style around the team their team's abilities it's like um no again it's like ralph kruger trying to you know put a fast and uh fast and highly offensive team into a, a slow and defensive you know defensive trap you know type of game like kind of think about like the new york islanders how like Matt Barzell, he's he finishes with eighty five points his rookie season and wins the Calder, and now he's barely getting like fifty sixty points, which is ridiculous. And like it brings up a it brings up a guy to my mind and John Tortorella, where he's gonna get on your ass when you're losing. He's also gonna pat you on the back when you do good things, but he's also like he's gonna punish you when you play bad. He's like you know he benches him or whatever, but at the same time though, it's like he's not gonna implement. 
a system where his players can't succeed. I know the media puts a bad rap on John Tortorella. Like, he's no Mike Babcock. He's not a fucking dick. He he just wants to win. He wants to bring out the best in his player. Great coaches bring out the best in their players, and that's something that John Tortorella does. That's not something Daryl Sutter did ever in Calgary. I mean, Matthew Kachuk maybe, but at the same time, they're like Matthew Kachuk's like a really, really, like, he's a superstar in this league, so... But at the end of the, at the end of the day, though, it's it's just, it was just a coaching issue. I think the Flames can easily bounce back this season. And up front, they're not bad. Mikael Backlund, they have Blake Coleman, Dylan Dubé, uh, and Nazem Kadri, Elias Lim, home like it, even they end up acquiring Sharon Govich, and it's nuts. It, I think up front, I know all of those guys are listed at center. Obviously, a couple of them are gonna have to move over to the wing. But at center depth though is absolutely nuts. They've got some good centers. They've got a good top six, you know. They've got Jacob Pelche, you know, coming up, you know. <laughs> he was another guy that, you know, really is a good offensive guy, you know. I believe his rookie season was this year. Yeah. And it's <laughs> – or he scored his first goal, and uh, Daryl Sutter was like, who? Like, he was just like – he didn't even know who it was. Wait, hold up. So, Daryl Sutter didn't know who Pelche was? Or, or like – it was something to that effect. It was like, you know, what number does he wear or something like that? Like he he didn't know anything about him. That's nuts. That is actually like, I feel bad for the kid. Like that's in, like if you're the Flames, like that's embarrassing right there. Yeah. Like you got it. I think he scored his first goal on the Sabers. Oh, I'm not surprised. The Sabers do <laughs> yeah, that every uh, year. That happens a lot. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> if you go back in history, a lot of people's first goals yes. against Sabers. Yes, uh, I know T- the Tage Thompson uh, brother had his first point against yeah. us. Absolutely nuts. Uh, and then you go on to the wings, right wing. They have no one. They have Corona, Coronado or whatever. Coronado. Uh, yeah, Coronado and then Doer or whatever. The, yeah. I don't know who the hell that is. Yeah. And then they, you have Huberdeau, Mangiapane, and Pelchier. You mentioned Pelchier, and we mentioned Huberdeau earlier. But Mangiapane, though, he's a solid middle six forward. He's not going to you know, carry a line. But he can produce. He can get carried. Right, he can get carried. When you put guys around him, he can be good. And the fact that I don't even know who the Flames ended up, like who their new head coach is. So Flames fan, if you guys are watching this, let us know because we apparently are uninformed. Uh, <laughs> but if you have Huberto, I believe Huberto and Mangiapane are going to play on the same line. Yeah, I believe Mangiapane, Huberto, and uh, Lindholm are their first line. Or it might be Kadri, which Whatever, I like going back and forth or whatever. Um, I think that can be – I think Cooper Doe and Mangiapane can easily bounce back. And then defensively-wise, you have Anderson, Noah Hannafin. I know Shillington. I don't know too much about Shillington, but I do know when he plays the Sabres that he's actually all over the ice, and you just know when he's on the ice. He's just one of those players that, you know, wants the puck, who gets in the nitty-gritty and is well de- good defensively. I could be wrong. It, it, there's also 70, what, 80 other games, so who knows? I could be wrong. And then after that, I mean, you have Chris Tanev, Uyghur, and Zadorov. So those are basically going to be your top six defensemen, like, locked in and everything. Yeah. Um, it's a solid group. It's not the best. I mean, no, I know Noah Hannafin is good. Uh, he's actually really good. No, Anderson's okay, and Tanev is, what, bad, I guess? Don't know too much about him. And Uyghur had a really good season analytically, and Zadorov, all he can do is hit and fight. Um <laughs> And then going on to the goaltenders, I know Markstrom, he's 33 years old, but you do have guys like Ladar and Wolf coming up in the system. If, if I had 
a 25 and 22 year old elite goaltender prospects coming up through the system with when my like current NHL goaltender is 33, I would be excited for that. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of the same thing how I'm feeling in, with the Sabers. You know, we got UPL and we've got um, we've got Levi that are so close in age. That could really be the tandem of the future. I could see Vladar and Wolf being the tandem of the Flames' future. I, I and like Flames fans rave about them all the time and deservedly so. Like, who I believe Wolf is the. Uh, it's like a lot of Flames fans are higher on. I could be wrong. It could be. Yeah, it is Wolf yeah, because Wolf. he gets compared to Levi all the time. Yeah, and uh, I believe you know both Levi and Wolf is, you know, their first you know full season. Uh, in their new league after they went up a league every year. They've been the best goalie each year. Wolf is going to be an elite goaltender. Like, imagine if, like, let's say, I don't know, three, four seasons now, it's Devin Levi versus Wolf in the Stanley Cup Finals, and you get possibly seven games of that. That would be seven electric games stuff. Just great goaltending. That would be electric stuff. That would remind me of back in the 2000s when you get guys like Patrick Wall, Mark Tambor. I know Wall played mostly in the 90s, but he still played in the 2000s. Brodor, you know, Lundqvist, Carey Price later and stuff. That that would be pretty dope. I'm not comparing them to those players, okay? They're, those are fucking all-time greats, okay? I'm just saying. Um, but you got anything else to add here about any of the news going around in the NHL or whatever? I do not. All right, well, we do appreciate you guys stopping by. And if you guys are stay till the end, all of our socials are down below as well as the subscribe button. And we'll see you guys in the next episode.